All right, so we're, we're in this communion series, and um, really it's an intimacy, intimacy series. We're, we're encouraging you, um, I'm, I'm going to ask this, and, and don't feel guilty if you haven't, but how many of you over the last two weeks have taken communion with your family, some way, shape, or form, or another, at your house? Anyone? Yeah, okay. If you haven't, feel free, okay? And don't receive any guilt, shame, condemnation if you haven't. You don't have to go buy juice. You don't have to go buy bread. Like, I, it doesn't matter. If you've got Diet Dr. Pepper and an Oreo cookie, you know, I, I mean, it'd be, be probably pretty amazing. Thank you, Bob. It'd be pretty amazing. It's, it's right. It's the posture of the heart. And what we're doing is I feel like the Lord is inviting us as a people in closer, deeper intimacy with him. And, and, and we want our people to experience him and hear from him in new and different ways. And, and, and I heard this. I have this guy. Um, I'm not going to share some of it just because it's so personal, and it's really for April and I. But I, I, when I was in Kansas City a few weeks ago, I met a, uh, I met a man. And actually, so I, 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 was, I was there, and I was sitting with Rob McCorkle. And I, I looked across, and I said, Rob, who is that man over there? Looks like the dude's glow, and I don't know how to explain that other than just like the countenance on his face was just like, he knows Jesus. And Rob goes, you don't know him? And I said, no, I don't know him. Who is he? And Rob grabbed me by the hand and made me go talk to this man. Pulled and, said, and so they take me out in the hallway, and Rob says, all right, this is my buddy Michael. I disciple him. Would you talk to him? And the guy grabs my hand, grabs my hand, and he goes, I don't hear nothing. <laughs> I don't hear nothing. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> And he goes, oh, wait, here it goes. And for 10 minutes straight, this man begins to prophesy to me. Didn't know me from Adam. And the very first thing he says, and just so like, just so, you, just so like, because I've had people come give me words, things like that, and I'm like, yeah, okay, you probably made that up. And then I've had people where it just pierced my heart, but he grabs my hand, and once, once he says, oh, here it is, he says, I feel like that horses that race are a really big part of the area in which you live. And I feel like you're running really fast. And like, I start crying immediately because I'm like, well, we live in horse racing country, right? The Kentucky Derby. But anyway, so without getting really weird, this man says this to me. He says, I feel like that your message has been intimacy. But in the heavenlies, intimacy is always accompanied with power. And he said, so I feel like that your church is going to start operating. He said, and then he says, oh, by the way, are you a pastor? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. And he says, but I feel like that there's going to be this extra aspect of your ministry and your people in your congregation where they're not only going to experience great intimacy with the Lord, but they're going to experience like the moving of the Lord in their day-to-day life. And like he said a bunch of other stuff, and I, I can't share it. I just, I just can't share it. But imagine sitting someone with 10 minutes that you've never met in your life shares nearly everything that you're going through currently or have been the last year and almost verbatim what you're, and I just, anyway. And so I just felt it was a confirmation as we entered into this time because we had already felt of the Lord that we were going to start entering into the season of communion. And we were going to, I guess, push or encourage our people to experience greater intimacy with the Lord. And so I just felt it was a great confirmation. I'm not sure why I told you that today. I just think the Lord wants to not only us to, ex- to grow in intimacy, but he wants that intimacy to be released through us. And so, so we're, we're kicking this off with John 17, 22, which Jesus, he's praying. He says, the glory which you've given me, 
I've given them, that they may be one as we are one, and I in them and you and me, that we may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. And so the glory, the, 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 the docs, the weighty presence of the Lord that the Father gave Jesus, Jesus now gives to his bride. And this, this, this presence, this glory is not given because we do good church services, okay? It's not done because you've prayed a prayer to go to heaven. What it's given to is if you live with Jesus and, and grow in intimacy with him, grow in relationship with him, if intimacy is like rubs you the wrong way. We're talking about having a relationship with the creator of the universe that's more than superficial prayers and, and, and little whatever events or, or, or things that we do that, that we have lost the significance of them in our lives. And Jesus says the only way that we inherit this is through intimacy. If you read John 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's about us walking in intimacy with him. And therefore, our intimacy with him qualifies us to receive a greater measure of his presence in our day-to-day -day lives. And when we receive that greater degree of presence in our day-to-day -day lives, we actually get to see him move. And, and, and so I, I think this, I said this last week, and I want to say it again. I think revival, which is something we've talked about until we have turned blue in the face, I think revival, but all of those things will not happen unless there is a company of people that walk in intimate relationship with the Lord, that actually know him, that they know his heart, that they know his nature. I think that's who he's waiting to trust and like an end time revival with is a group of people that say, we want to know you at all costs. That's it. Like, like, and, and again, and, 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 and I, I, I think, and for us, I feel like we've been entering into something the last three or four weeks that I don't quite understand but, but I believe that what we're entering into is because we are having more and more people in our local family that's saying, I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to get to know him. Yeah, I've read my Bible 20 times my whole life, or, or maybe I haven't even read through the New Testament 20 It doesn't really matter. What I'm trying to say is, is that you're saying, I'm very familiar. I've been raised in this environment and been raised in church, but I'm starting to move from, from just knowing about him to where I'm starting to actually know him. Okay? And that's what the Lord wants us to do. And so revival is communion with the Lord. It's, it's intimacy with the Lord. And all throughout history, I've said this last week, but all throughout history, men and women that were used powerfully by God, there's one common factor. It's not personality. It's not larger-than-life personalities. It's not great speaking ability. It's not any of that. It is men and women that said, I'm going to go get alone with him. And I'm going to hear from him. And I'm going to spend time with him. And I'm going to worship him and adore him more than just what's going on here in our corporate expression. But I'm going to go, if I, if I have 24 hours in a day, if I could spend 24 with him, I would do it. Like he's looking for men and women. And it's not about time. It's like, don't make it legalistic and be like, well, I did 45 minutes today. I'm going to do 47. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm, it's where he becomes the sole 
focus of our lives. It's where he becomes the obsession of your life, if you will. He, that's who the men and women that he uses. It's been like Charles and, uh, Charles and John Wesley. Like John Wesley felt like the poor needed the gospel preached to him, and the church got upset that the poor started coming in the church, and so they threw him out of his church that he was ordained in, and so he starts preaching out in the open air, and thousands upon thousands start getting saved. Why? Because he had a revelation of the Lord's goodness that it wasn't just for the upper, rich, middle, white class people, but it was for every single person on the planet. You understand? It's like Charles Finney, which is my favorite evangelist of all time. Charles Finney was skeptical of the Lord's existence. He didn't believe in the Lord's existence. And then he started seeking, started getting convicted, and he was walking down the road, and he was very, he, he was very intelligent. Very, he was a lawyer, and he was... He's trained in law school, and he's walking down the road, and he hears the Lord, and he feels such a burden that he walks off the side of the road, goes, hides in the woods, and lays on his face for hours. And he says that, I, I love what he says, he says it's like waves of liquid love came over him to such a degree that he began to ask the Lord to quit moving on him because he thought that he might die. And he gave the rest of his life to preaching the gospel town to town, place to place. He actually... He was known for this. Finney was known. I don't even know I'm telling you revival history. I just think it's men and women used powerfully by the Lord. But Finney, Finney actually would spend so much time for the Lord that they would announce that services started at 5 p.m. on a Sunday night. And the whole town, this was like the 18... 70s, 80s, and Finney, with the whole town, would come into the come to the church or to the meeting hall, and most likely it was a schoolhouse that was used for all those purposes. So the whole town be waiting. It's 5 p.m., and Finney's nowhere to be found. You know where he was? He was alone in his bedroom at his hotel or the house he was staying in. And he was just praying. And he said that he wouldn't even stand before the people unless he thought the Lord had divinely spoken to him. And so he would wait. And so the people would wait. It's 6 o'clock. It was supposed to start an hour ago. <laughs> Don't they know that Grey's Anatomy's on just a few hours or whatever, or whatever show y'all watch? And he's like, no, it doesn't really matter. 7 o'clock, it doesn't matter. He's waiting till he had something worth giving to people. And he'd come in and just, Poof, and then he would release what the Lord gave him. There's actually accounts of Finney where he spent so much time with the Lord that there were times that he would walk into buildings or walk into places, and he hosted such a degree of the Lord's presence that he didn't even preach the gospel that people begin to fall on their knees because they got convicted by sin there's actually this one story where we walked into this steel mill and walked into this mill and they said that people started just hitting their knees weeping and crying out and the only thing that happened is one man that would love the lord's presence that communed with him daily that communed with him daily walked into the building now you understand, it's not the man that did that, it's the Christ Jesus, the hope of glory that was inside the man, okay? What I'm saying is, I could give you all kinds of other examples of men and women mightily used by God. Most of them were deeply flawed, for one, they weren't perfect, and I think that's actually something the Lord does. I don't think you should go purposely become flawed, but I think it's something the Lord does, so it doesn't go to our heads. Because, like Wesley, he had a terrible marriage. No one knows that. We don't talk about that in our Wesleyan, Armenian theology tradition. He had a terrible, terrible marriage. But the Lord used him mightily. Yeah. Why? 
I think it's because a flawed individual that recognizes that it's not about them, but it's all about him, actually grants permission to be used. And so if I said, how many of y'all are perfect? None of you better raise your hand, right? So now, even if your mom said you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, you're, you, know, you, you may be pretty special, but maybe not that. And so, so the Lord's looking for these people, these men and women that are just hungry for him. He's looking for churches that are just hungry for him. And, and, and what we're beginning to discover is because we're becoming hungry for him, we're starting to see the Lord place burdens on people's hearts for the neighborhood around the church. And I just absolutely love, like, their prayer walking today, and, and Melissa was up here serving some people the other day. It's just, it, it's, what, what the Lord does is if you go spend time alone with him, he starts to give you his heart. And then what we end up doing is what heaven said to do as opposed to what we think we need to do because we feel guilty about not doing anything. And when he leads it, guides it, directs it, it's much more powerful and impactful than it would be if we just came up with something because this is what good Christian people do. I don't know where that came from, but it felt good to say. Okay, so revival, it's, it's, a, um, it, it's walking in intimacy with him. It's, it's communion with him. And I shared part of this a few weeks ago or early December, but, but when you start to enter into a lifestyle of communing with the Lord, you actually become a hoarder, I'll say that, a hoarder of oil. <laughs> you, you understand what hoarding is, right? Like there's like terrifying shows on TV that has like you walk in it and they have little narrow pathways under house. And, and, and so it's just they can't throw anything away. They can't get it rid of anything. And, and this is from Matthew 25. Let me read it, and then we're going to actually get to where we're supposed to talk at the very end. But the kingdom of heaven is comparable to the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flasks with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, which actually means they made their lamps more beautiful. They, were, uh, uh, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for the lamps are going out. I've said this before. You can't... The only way... I think oil in this story is only gotten when you spend time or spend time in a secret place with the Lord. And my wife's oil is not my oil. And I can't say, I'm lacking, give me some of what you have. It, it's all of us have to pay a price for it ourselves, okay? And so that's what's going on here. And the prudent answered, no, there won't be enough for us and you two. Go instead to the dealers and go buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in to the, with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on alert then, for you don't know the day or the hour. Now, now granted, this is an end times passage, but I think it's a passage for right here and right now. Now, the reason why I said we need to be hoarders of oil, and I'm going to go through this relatively quick, but there were ten virgins, five virgins, 
spent the time, spent time alone in the secret place and, re, and got the oil that they needed. The other five were lazy and wicked, is what another translation says, and they did not get what they needed. I think this is a picture of what we need to do as a people. If you understand wedding history, I'm gonna, I've said this, I think, twice here, but I'm going to go through this real quick. But Jewish wedding tradition, it's pretty simple. There were three aspects. There was the betrothal. And that was the bridegroom coming and paying a price for his bride. It was a dowry. And we know that Jesus came and he paid a price with his blood for us. That's the wedding invitation right there. When he was on Calvary and he shed his blood, that's the dowry for us to come in, okay? That's the price that was paid. Then the second aspect was... The, the, there was the betrothal, and then there was that time of waiting in which the bridegroom would go and he would prepare a place to live for him and his bride to live. Kind of sounds like what he's doing right now, right? When he ascended into the heavens, he said, where I go, you cannot go yet. You don't know the way, but it's going to be all right. I'm going to send a helper. So while he's away, he sends gifts. And he sends gifts to remind his bride of why he loves his bride. And why he, what he thinks about his bride. And so there's moments in our lives and there's, there's times even in our services where you experience the Lord. That's a gift from heaven to remind you of what you can have right now, but also what you've got to look forward to. All right? And so it's this constant like, I'm sending you a gift, I'm sending you a gift, I'm sending you a gift. And it can look like a whole lot of things. It could be just as simple as, just this morning, I'm gonna, I won't go into all the detail. This morning I went over to get the juice and the bread. And the, 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 the woman that was working the counter said, I just prayed to God. She said, you're the preacher man from next door, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, I just prayed to God that he would allow me to talk to someone because I'm wrestling with this. And it was like all of time stopped, and I got to spend like 25 minutes with her at the cash register. Just So to her, that was a gift in that moment. Do you understand? The Lord, he, even though he's, he's got, he's sends gifts. He, he, he reminds you that you're not alone. He reminds you that you're loved. And so there's that moment of, of while he's away, he prepares the place and he sends gifts. And then there's the third aspect, the actual wedding. He shows up, is what the text said, and there was a shout that he's here. And the ones that were ready, they had their oil, they had their lamps, and he showed up at midnight because that was what Jewish tradition said. And they would show up in the middle of the night and, and they had their lamp and they would carry their lamp, which would light the way of their path while they followed him and it was typically a long journey from which they start the wedding process to where the house would be where it was finally consummated and so here's this picture of them saying we've got enough oil to get us to where we need to go but i don't have enough oil to get you to where you need to go and so practically it looks like this parents like my relationship with jesus is not good enough for my son to go to heaven Okay, y'all's relationship, it's, your kids are going to have to make that decision themselves, okay? And so it's, like, it's practically, it's like that. I can lead you, I can guide you, I can show you, we can teach them, but they've got to make that decision themselves. And so here's this picture, they get the oil, and it says they trim their lamps or trim the wicks, which is a process of beautification. It's, it's just this, I, I want to do whatever I can to look pleasing and acceptable unto him. And they would finally get to the destination, right? They'd finally get to the destination where he'd go and there's the ancient tradition of which they would carry the bride across the threshold while she's still holding the lamp now 
I know that if, if, if this was a lamp right here that was plumb full of oil, it's not, okay? But if this was a lamp plumb full of oil, and, and, and typically a lamp would have been just basically a, a jar with a candle wick and it lit, and if I was whisked off of my feet, what's the likelihood of that sloshing all over me before I was carried inside? Now, I know I'm taking a little liberty here, but I think this is this picture of what the Lord does. When we go get alone and spend time in intimacy with him, we become hoarders of oil. And I think actually this, and with, without being too silly, I think this is what gets us into the next season because narrow is the gate. Now, if, if he's carrying us across the threshold, some of us, we got all kinds of stuff attached to us. We're full of all kinds of friction, and we're not getting through the next season. But maybe, just maybe, if we get some oil all over us, it allows us to slip right through in the doors and places that we never would have imagined we would have gotten into in the first place. This is better than you guys are acting today, and that's okay. I... I so, so he's called us to go after this. All right. Now, once you start spending time alone with him in communion and intimacy, and I, I went through that quick, but once you get communion and intimacy, once you start spending time with him, you start to see confidence rise in people because it's like you start getting answers to prayer. I, 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 I'd called Melissa this past week, and I said, how are you? And she says, you need me to pray for anything? Because I've just, like, had a couple answered, and I'm feeling pretty good about my ability to pray right now. And, uh, and she said, my confidence is high. But, but, but when you start to see the Lord move in specific ways, it drives us back into that place. And so, so like, if this church is going to grow, if this church is going to transform the city or the state or the region, it's going to be because we have a relationship with the Lord, and it's because we spend time alone with Him, seeking after Him, and then He starts to give us His heart, and we start to pray and agree with what His heart is. Amen. Look at, look at Luke 11. Luke 11. Uh, starting with verse 9. It's Jesus talking about prayer. Now listen, when we pray, when you pray, I promise you don't need to pray in your best King James. Now if you can pray in really good King James, just go for it. That's fine. But, but most prayer is conversational in my opinion. And, and, mo and, like it's, and I think it's brutally honest, it's direct, it's to the point. Like, how many of y'all, like, do, do, does, if you're with someone and they're, like, getting forever to get to the point, does anyone ever get antsy and, like, just say what you're wanting to say? Like, when, when Ethan, like, he'll come up and he'll sometimes say stuff, and I'm like, just get, what, what do you want? And then we can move on from there. And I'm not, I'm not picking at them, but my folks would do that, too. They'd be like, look, is there a point that you're trying to get to? Because we'd like you to get to it at some time or another. And do you understand? And, 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 and I, think, I think that some of us think we have to talk the Lord into doing what we ask him to do. But the, the truth of the matter is you're not talking him into anything. The truth of the matter is that you're spending time with him and getting to know his heart, and then you start asking him stuff that he already knows his heart to begin with, and he can't help but end up moving in that situation. So here's, here's, here's what it says. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, 
and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. It's a beautiful picture. And again, it isn't like new pickup. Like that's not, that's not what this is. This is getting to know his heart. And as you get to know his heart, that's why in Psalms, David wrote, the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. He gives you his desires because he gives you the desires of your heart because your heart has been transformed to such a degree. It's actually his heart. That's Ezekiel uh, 25, 26, and 27. But he says, now, now suppose one of your fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay. So, <coughs> communion, intimacy with the Lord gives us the confidence to begin to ask him for more of himself. He says, I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, and knock, and it'll be open for you. Ask means to request, to demand. And so it's, it's this picture of just asking. And what's fascinating is these three words, they're present tense. And so, so it doesn't mean like ask one time. It means just stay persistent. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep, keep asking. Keep asking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And like, it's like this. I was actually taught, uh, I was taught by one of my, my mentors that when you minister, there's going to be themes or topics or whatevers that when you share with your church, you're going to feel like you're talking about too much. And if you feel like you're talking about something too much, it actually means you're finally just now starting to talk about it enough and you probably need to talk about it some more because it takes that long for something for, to soak in, okay? And so, so some of us, we're like, well, I prayed once and that was good. And, and if we haven't heard an answer, I, I think it's permission to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I don't know how many times we've asked the Lord to send revival to this church and to send revival to the surrounding area. And he hasn't said no, and he hasn't said, I'm going to. I believe he's promised he's going to, but he hadn't said stop doing it yet. So therefore, we keep asking, and we keep asking, and we keep asking. Or it's a picture of this. If you have a lost loved one, do you just pray, oh, Lord, save them? Or do we keep, come on, Lord, get them? Right? Like, 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 make them miserable until they actually just turn around and come back to you. Like, like, do we start praying like that and believing? Like, some of you are giggling at that, but some of us actually need to hit bottom before we finally realize we need to go back up, right? And so, so it's like, Lord, would you do so, like whatever they need to do? Lord, let them come to their wits' end. Let them come to the end of themselves. But I'm going to keep asking, and I'm going to keep seeking and knocking that you're going to come back, and, and you're going to draw them near to you because your desire is that none shall perish and all shall inherit eternal life. Like, would you begin to move in that situation? I think, beloved, there's moments where we need to get more bold and start asking the Lord and asking the Lord, instead of forgetting what we've asked him for but keep seeking and keep seeking and so it's this demand on heaven <coughs> and seek means try to find and to learn about and 
to desire, to man, demand, to attempt to find. And, and find, it means to discover, to learn the location of something. It means to attain, it means to begin to experience. And so again, there's this picture, he's saying, look, ask and seek and knock until you actually see the things that you've been asking for. We're saying, Lord, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is right here in Louisville, God. We're going to keep seeking after you until we see it come to completion. You promised that you would do it. We're going to keep appealing to you. I'm not going to get bored with praying this. I'm not going to get worn out with praying this. You haven't changed the subject. I'm not going to move on to the next thing. It's asking and seeking and knocking. And I think he's looking for a people. It's like, well, that sounds cruel. It's not cruel. What it does is I think it actually imparts a holy desperation within our hearts. I think that it stirs up a hunger inside of our hearts. I think that it, it makes us to the point that we're like, we haven't seen it happen yet, and if it hasn't happened yet, maybe when it actually happens, we will attribute everything that does happen to him instead of thinking that it's us and our ingenuity and our own cleverness or our, our own devices. But we're like, Lord, we absolutely need you, right? It's all throughout the New Testament Jesus teaches about persistence in prayer. And the only way you can be persistent it's if you get alone with him. Hmm. He's looking for people. I wrote this, so I'm going to read it verbatim. I believe the Lord is looking for a people who are obsessed with finding him. When we pray, look, here, here's something I felt like the Lord said. When I ask the Lord for an answer to prayer, you know what the answer to the prayer is? It's him. If I need provision, do I need money or do I need more of him because he is our provider? Do you understand? Like, if I need a healing, do I need physically healed or do I need him who is the healer? So he is the answer. Like I could go on and on and on, right? If I feel alone, do I need someone to love me or do I need the one that is the manifestation of love to make himself known in my life, right? Like you see, when we pray, he is the answer. The answer isn't an action. The answer is a person. He's looking for people that want to find him. I'll never forget it. It's been, oh goodness. I don't know how old the song is. Um, Wow, King of My Heart, you know, we're the, you're the King of My Heart. There's another song, there's like a four-song EP. I remember when we got downloaded that EP, and we were listening to it in, in Illinois in April, and I just cried the whole way. But there's, there's one song on there that's not really a worship song, but he says that everything I've ever wanted, it is found in you. Everything I've ever wanted, wanted it is found in you. And there's so much truth to that. And, and what we discover is if we go get alone with him, like we start to pray his heart, we start to get answers, see more answers to prayer. And again, I'm not turning into this. This is not a step one, two, three thing. This is a relationship. It's living. It's active. It's dynamic. But what we find is when we spend more time with him, we see more answers to prayer. And when we see more answers to prayer, we want to spend more time with him. And then we see more answers to prayer. And then we want to you understand. It's just on and on and on. Now, Communion, it convinces us. Intimacy, it convinces us of his goodness. 
Verse 11, it says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish. I'd be ticked off, right? I'd be like snakes anyway. This, and, I, and, and some of you were raised on the farm and this, that, and the other, but I, I, I think snakes, it's like the best snake is a dead snake, right? <laughs> well, it's just truth. Same with cats. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm getting in trouble. I shouldn't have said that. If he, if he asks for an egg, will he not give him a scorpion? It's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would he ask for an egg and a scorpion? Like, how could you even confuse the two? Well, actually, during this time, they had white-colored scorpions, and so it would make sense that you could actually think, oh, I'm getting something like this, but actually I'm getting something that could kill me. And he says, for an egg, will you not give him a scorpion, will he? And, and if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's what this is like. If I could paraphrase this, this is saying that his goodness is for all of us who are his children. Those that have kids or nieces, nephews, or, you know, have kids that you've kind of just taken on as your own, you wouldn't do something that purposefully hurt them. If they asked you for something, you wouldn't purposefully be like, I'm going to give this to them to teach them. Like, you would not do, that's the definition of cruel. Or like if your kid said, if you told your kid, come here, right? And if your kid comes running to you, you're like, come here, I want a hug. You're not going to be like, ah, and, you know, you're not, like, that's cruel. That's cruel. <laughs> See, if you experience communion and intimacy with the Lord, you start to get a revelation of his goodness. And once you start to get a revelation of his goodness then you realize that you can enter into that time. And there's going to be moments when he points something out. But we've, we've said this before, that, that when the Lord points something out, it's because it interferes with his love. And if it interferes with his love, he wants to remove that from your life. And so here's this picture of Jesus just giving us illustration, I guess, of saying, look, if you who's sinful and had sin in your life can take care of your children on earth, how much more when your heavenly Father who's in heaven, who's blameless, who's righteous, who's holy, how much more will He give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for Him? Now, it helps understand the crowd He was speaking to. Most people at that time well, the Holy Spirit wasn't given, so, so they, they wouldn't have had that anticipation for that. But there's a lot that believe that he had departed. There's some that believe that the Holy Spirit's only available to, like, the most holy. Or only belongs to a certain group of people. And this is really profound because Jesus is saying, look, this is not for the elite. This is not for the holy rollers. This is for sons and daughters that have a revelation of his goodness. And, and look, I, I just, well, I think if we could get a revelation that he's good, it would change the way we pray. And we've used this coil. 
Don't cringe, if you will, but enter into it like, I'm here, and I'm waiting for an embrace. And if he's good, it changes the way that I pray. It really, if it, it just, if, if, if his goodness is a lens through which I look at the world, it changes the way I view absolutely everything. Because then when he moves, it's like, well, you work all things together for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And, and if that's the case, and I believe it to be true, then you're going to work this out some way, somehow, even though I don't understand in this moment. Or you're going to begin to seek him and be like, Lord, would you just pour out your goodness in this situation? And, and, and rather than saying, oh, you must be punishing me, Lord, instead of saying, you're punishing me, I'm, you're punishing me, you're punishing me, it's just like, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? What is it that you're refining? What is it that you're wanting to change? It's a different view. Like, and, and again, if you ask him, he's not me like, well, <laughs> they asked for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to have everyone get mad and leave or whatever. You know, he's, he's not going to do that. He's looking for a people that trust him. And I think it's like this. I wrote in my notes early this morning that if we can get a revelation of his goodness, I think it's almost, now, hmm. I say it's almost, I actually think it is this. And again, this is all, you're alone with him, he gives you his heart. But I think if you get a revelation of his goodness, it's like the Lord writes you a blank check. Because if he's good, and I believe he is, then I believe he desires to move. Now in this instance, in this, in this story, Luke, he actually talks about receiving more of the Holy Spirit, more of the Lord's presence. Matthew just talks about receiving from the Lord, but Luke's emphasis was on the Holy Spirit. But if the Lord come, let me, and like you could think like this, if you had a blank check and you could write any amount on it that you wanted to, what would you go spend that on? Some of us, we'd pay off our homes, we'd pay off all of our debts. There's some that would, the first thought was, well, I would go take care of the poor, I'd go do this, that, or the other, I'd bless, I'd take care of my folks, I'd take care of my friends and family. You realize that if you get a revelation of his goodness because you've spent time with him, that less and less of what he's doing in your life is about you. It's, it's the truth. It's like I, I remember, I, I remember, and like the Lord's helping me in this because I'm not there yet. I just think I'm on the right road, okay? I think I'm, I'm making progress. But what I found is like, I had the thought this week that it's been two days since I've prayed anything for myself. But I've spent more time in the last two days in prayer than I have the last two weeks. And what I found is I started like just seeing y'all in my mind or whatever, started seeing your faces and I just start praying for you one by one. And I started picturing the shopping center and started praying, Lord, pour out your glory in the shopping center. 
Think of my wife, I'd pray for her. Think of my boy, and I'd pray for him that he would serve the Lord with purpose in his generation, right? I, I just started thinking of all these different things, started praying for our state, Lord, and, and just like, Lord, pour out your glory in this state. See, I think the blank check isn't like, what can you give me? It's what can you deposit within me that ends up affecting the world around me. And so then it's like, all right, God, there's some in our church that their kids are away from you right now. That's not your will. Send them home. Thank you. Right? There's some that I know that's struggling in finance. Lord, would you begin to meet their every need? Right? There's some that's battle chronic illness and sickness. Would you take care of those right here and right now, God? There's some that's struggling because they've been hurt. Would you heal their broken hearts, God? And I have this confidence because I've spent time with him that he's actually good. And I have this confidence that he's going to begin to answer those prayers. But if I think that he's mean... If I think he's mean, I don't have that confidence. Because then I start to think like this. And this is, this is, and I think the definition of a mean, angry father is the picture of cold, dead religion, okay? Because then we start to say like this, well, maybe if they hadn't made bad choices, they wouldn't be struggling right now. It, yes. Maybe, maybe if they did this, that, or the other, their kid wouldn't be struggling. And that's silly. That's judgmental. But if he's really good, then he wants to move in those situations. And I'm not going to think the way the enemy thinks and tries to justify stuff. <laughs> I'm so far off today. That's okay. Here, here's... Here's what I think. Here's what I believe. We've entered into this because I'd like us to enter into getting the revelation of his goodness and kindness so that we can start pulling those things down. And when we start to pray, those things start to happen. Very practically. And it's, it's not like, don't, don't say, well, he said ask and you'll receive, and like, we're all praying for brand new cars. Like, that's dumb and gross, okay? But I'm not going to let the abuse of a few megalomaniacs ruin it for the rest of us. And so we're going to seek after the Lord and begin to experience him. And man, and, and, and I'll, by the way, the communion with the Lord, it's enjoyable, it's really enjoyable. Like, like, there's moments where I'm like, don't do that. Or don't say that. You know, like, do you really have to go there, Lord? Like, I was enjoying this sweet time of worship, and the Lord just says, by the way, you're sarcastic. And I'm like, I'm worshiping you right now. And the Lord convicted me on sarcasm and said, stop being sarcastic. Doesn't mean I can't have humor, but sarcasm is always aimed at the person that you're in front of, not something that's funny. And so I'm like, do you have to go there, Lord? And, but that's his goodness is doing that. 
it's his goodness that's doing that because then it just anyway. I, I'm just saying we want to, I just want us to experience his goodness, his kindness, his fullness. I want us to see answers to prayer. Like I, I would love for nothing more for us to go get alone with him and get fascinated with him. And you guys start saying, this is what the Lord did. This is what the Lord did. This is what the Lord did. I prayed for this for six months and he moved. I prayed for this for two years and he moved. I prayed for this for 50 years and he moved. Or I prayed for this for two minutes and I got a phone call and he moved, right? Or I prayed just two seconds ago and for someone to come in here for me to talk to and then you walk in like 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 what would it look like if we started getting answers like that because we were intimate with the lord i i just think it would radically radically change our lives yeah. amen amen so let's pray how about everyone stand and we're going to pray change your posture for just a minute